Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome back to the Lisa Wexler Show. Alexis Harrison and Maria Weingarten founded CT169strong.org with a lot of other people in order to make people aware of various affordable housing agendas that were making their way in various ways through legislative action. And this has been going on for a couple of years now, but this year they really got a lot of steam and they came in through many different committees with many different approaches. We had heard that fair share, which is the most controversial of the approaches, and we'll hear why in a moment, had died in the House, but then lived to see another day, either in the Senate or in a revised House bill, and I can't keep track any longer. So I asked both of them to come back on the show and tell us what's happening. Maria and Alexis, thank you for coming back on such short notice. Can, yeah, of can course. You, Thanks again. Sure. So, Alexis, you sent out a pretty detailed, extraordinarily detailed story this morning in an email to your thousands of subscribers What's going on and what just happened? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go back to um, this past Friday morning. um, The Democrat leadership had a press conference where Majority Leader Rojas and Speaker Ritter said that fair share was being pulled from HB 6781, which was this larger omnibus housing bill. And fair share, as we've discussed before, would mandate all of our towns to build a certain amount of housing within the next 10 years. And if they didn't fulfill those mandates, they, they could be sued by outside parties, such as a developer. Um, again, we just thought it was just a very onerous and bad bill. So 12 hours later, 11 o'clock on Friday night, Maria and all of us are watching the deliberations on the House floor. Um, and we learned that the fair share omnibus language was essentially stuck into SB 998, a bill establishing a tax abatement for certain conservation easements, totally unrelated. Wow. Um, So in other words, something that looks like it's pro-environmental, right? It looks like Mm -hmm. an incentive with a title of, great, let's encourage people to conserve land. That's where they stuck fair share. That's where they stuck fair share. And it really threw us for a loop because we were feeling very good and, um, you you know, happy that this was going to be put on hold for this session. 
but again, in the dark of night when everybody was sleeping, th- these onerous, this onerous bill was stuck in and just, just felt very defeating after all the work that we've done to really shine light on a really bad policy for Connecticut. Who is the senator or which senators in particular really wanted this language in the Senate bill? I mean, we're, you know, we're not in the building, um, of course, but we, we heard rumblings that Senator Bob Duff, um, who represents uh, Norwalk, of course, was really pushing the fair share bill. And we even, again, I can't substantiate this. I'm not up in the Capitol that he was even going to um, hold up House bills in the Senate if this was not going through. So um, a lot of, you know, inner working, just, just very, you know, unpleasant, you know, just very dirty in our, in our eyes and what happened. You know, good policy should happen in the sunlight, not in the dark of night. So, um, so as we understand this, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, will, so will Senate Bill 998 be debated at all? Will, will, will it be discussed? What happens now? Um, Maria, that's, I mean, that's what we've been hearing from, from folks up in Hartford right now, that it will go to the Senate today. But also part of it is the work-live-ride work bill, which is the desegregate bill, will also show up. But we're just really hearing a lot of conflicting things right now. But I think everything is up for grabs at this point. And the reality is, you know, we're, I'm, I just took a quick look at what's online. There is no updated language for work-live-ride anywhere. You know, no, nothing in the old bill it was thrown into, which was the Rojas Omnibus. It was in there. It's not there. You know, there's nothing new updated recently. So, again, this is going to be one of those they're going to pick a bill, may not be related to anything, and they're just going to throw new language in. And, again, you know, the way this went down was the first inkling of anything came at about 9, uh, 9.16 p.m. And it was, you know, concerning. So we saw that bill, and it was over 70 pages long. And then a second version came at about 11.11, and then a third version came at 11.22, and by midnight, they started discussion on the bill within a half hour. And then they discussed it for about two hours, and then it finally was voted on at 2 a.m. And what was voted on at 2 a.m. by whom? Okay, so the House voted on that bill, SB 998, with that new fair share language. The House and voted, wait, the House voted on SB 998 already? Yes. Yes, so, the House did. Because the original SB 998, oh. again, which was, so that was that conservation bill, was voted on by the Senate. And it, and it was fine. And it came over. And, and I think, you know, the idea was just throw that language in this unrelated bill. And because that bill had gone to different committees, it won't. It, you can't kill it by getting getting to go back to another committee again, even though it's totally unrelated language. May require money that would maybe want you to send the bill back to finance or appropriations, but that can't happen now because that bill had already the old version had already gone for finance and appropriations. So you're saying that SB 998 with the fair share language got passed on Friday night. Who voted for it? Did a lot of Democrats vote for it that had formally said they were not going to vote for it? Yes. So what oh. our understanding was there were about 30 Democrats who said that they would not vote for it uh, when they were counting, and it was down to 16. In the end, there were only 16 Democrats who voted no. But there was a great deal of confusion, as I mentioned, because two separate versions coming out in like a 10-minute different span of time, and then the bill being called, 30 minutes later. 
And you've got leaders where, again, we weren't in the building, but we know from people who have sold to, said to us independently, they were all sold that this was going to be a study. And there is no study in there. And if you go to line 740 to 746, it says in consultation that the secretary is going to set allocations. That's what the bill talks about, is that they're going to set fair share allocations. So it's the camel's nose under the tent bringing fair share in. And it's using the original fair share methodology. We've known this for three years. We've known what those fair share numbers are, what those allocations are to every single town for the last three years. But nobody talks about the numbers because the last two years when they talked about the numbers, the bill never even made it out of committee last year. So this year the thought was let's not tell people what their fair share is and let's just pass it. So you have to pass it to know what's in the bill. I, I, I'm, I'm really speechless, and I want to tell you that I had an off-the-record conversation, and because it was off-the-record, I will not name the person I spoke with, but it was a state senator, and the state senator told me that the reason this state senator voted or is intending to vote for this bill was because it was only a study. Yes, and, that, that was promoted Yep, that, that way. Yes, it's wrong. Yeah. And it's wrong. So don't you think that we have an obligation to educate and inform these state senators? Because don't they have to re-vote on 998 since it now has two language, or is it done? Is it finished? I'm no, it has to go back to the Senate. Okay. And again, what the bill reads is that the by December 2024, the secretary in consultation with the Economic Committee, DCD, um, with secretaries and experts, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll establish a methodology for fair share allocation. So there's That's no, so there's no elected people in the process anymore. No, elected people. No, and, and the problem is too, there are no environmental people that, that we believe that would be part of this. You know, a proper study would be fine. It would be broad. It would be unbiased and it would evaluate a number of things that we've been talking about. But th this is one step closer to bring fair share to, um, to, to Connecticut. And why, did, why, did we, 14, we, why did 14 Democrats say goodbye? What happened here? I, I mean, this is what we've heard, uh, again, from people up in Hartford. Um, we've heard that there were threats from leadership saying that you would no longer have your leadership role if you voted against us. Or to what Marie was just talking about, it's just a study. It's innocuous. It's fine. Um, we've, seen, we've seen actually emails that were sent from the Democrat leadership to their caucus promoting it as a study and how they had to sell it. This is not good government. This is not good policy making, and everybody should be very upset. And um, again, we woke up Saturday morning, and we've been watching all the deliberations all night, but just really speechless and just just felt defeated. But we're we're working to educate people. We've been doing that all weekend. We've been calling people, um, but people are tired of the call, I think you have to call all these state senators and tell them that yeah. they've been rooked. That's got to be right. what it is. Yeah, and, and we actually did hear me. that there were a number of, of, of uh, people within the Democrat caucus who did feel like they were taken uh, by their leadership, who were saying it's a study, it's a study, it's fine. And again, once you set allocation, and, and we would say that those allocations, the way they're set, they don't, they don't consider anything. Uh, I mean, if, I guess if I could step back for a second, there are only four things they consider when they look at allocation, and that's your town's wealth. Uh, average income, your uh, uh, your grand list, your poverty level, and how much multifamily you have. That's it. 
And so they set allocations. They'll say, okay, we've decided this is how much housing is needed in the state. This is how much housing we're going to give to the re each region. And then we're going to just dim dumb it down to all the regions from there to the municipalities. And they're going to be assigned this number. It doesn't consider how much housing you already have, how much density you have, how much, you know, what your sewer capacity is, what, you know, whether you're a reservoir town that has five or six reservoirs that serves 90% of Bridgeport, it doesn't matter. They don't consider any of these factors in when they set these allocations. It's only based on affluence. So it's, it's really frustrating because no one should, should buy into this allocation scheme. And it was literally pushed through in the middle of the night. And so this is sort of saying we've, we've come to a bona fide allocation scheme and, and now the next step will be, this is just phase one, and then phase two will be, you know, putting in all the, uh, the different sticks that they will, like litigation, like all of the other things, uh, enforced in, in, you know, an enforcement by deadlines. That's, that's phase two. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You know, it's, um, I just want to just pull back a little bit because I was doing a little bit of data research over the weekend. You know, the, the fundamental presumption is here, and I hear this from state senators, and I hear this incessantly from housing advocates, that Connecticut has an affordable housing problem. But uh -huh. I just want, I want our listeners to know this. In the, um, in the, and this is from the data, a list of U.S. states and D.C. by median home price. Connecticut isn't even in the top 10. Do you know correct. that Connecticut is number 20 in our median <laughs> home price? Do yes, you know correct. that the median home price in the state of Connecticut is $255,000? It's not 500, it's not a million, it's 255, we're number 20. What this is really about, and it's fascinating to me, but I think we should understand what it is. Connecticut doesn't have as a state an affordable housing problem. It has some very affluent towns. And in those rich towns, it's very expensive to live there. But this policy is basically directing itself to try and say that there shouldn't be, you know, those rich towns. I mean, let's just be honest about it. That's really what it's about. Because if you look at the data... At a $255,000 coming in number 20 out of 50 states, Connecticut isn't in the top three. It isn't even in the top 10 in terms of, and we're talking about buying a house. We're not talking about even rentals, buying a house. But, but let's be honest, you got to go outside most of Fairfield County, not all, 
but a lot of Fairfield County to find where it evens out in price. So this state policy, in, in my view, is really aimed predominantly at Fairfield County. That's really where it's aimed. Am I wrong? That's what, about exactly. This, no, no, you're completely correct. And, you know, also just to add to that, you know, there are under 3,000 homeless people in our state. And I think we're more house, you know, housing cost burden versus having a housing crisis. You know, there are you know, big taxes here in Connecticut, high energy costs. And we don't think just simply building dense housing is going to solve that problem. People are still going to have affordability issues. Um, and and we also- have to remember these policies, they're not creating affordable. Most of these policies only add about zero to, to 20 percent, but really not much more than 10 percent affordable in any way, shape or form. So really what you're doing is just creating high-density rental units without um, improving affordability. And, and this is something that we've been saying from the beginning, and you, you, may, you hit it right, uh, right on, you hit the nail on the head when you said that it is. Fairfield County is different because it's tied to the New York metro uh, pricing market. So, so if you took New York, uh, sorry, the, the whole Fairfield County area out of play, Connecticut is quite affordable for a lot of people, and it's, 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 it's attractive to many, many people. You know, and part of the issue there as well when it comes to affordability is do you have good jobs to offer? And that's been an issue is that Fairfield County is tied to the economy of, of the metro New York area, but the rest of Connecticut is tied to Connecticut's economy, that's and true. it's been stagnant. Yeah. And that's been the, the bigger issue because you really can't solve affordability in Connecticut if you don't address good businesses here that offer good paying jobs that make life more affordable. And that's, that's the bigger issue that no one's willing to talk about. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely complex. There's a lot to it, but I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about this. And the other piece is that Fairfield County, because it is so wealthy, it contributes a disproportionately Mm -hmm. high amount of revenue to Connecticut's tax base. If you cut off Fairfield County from Connecticut's tax base, There'd be almost nothing to spend, right? I mean, look where You're all right. the, you, look where all the dividend taxes come from. The capital gains taxes come from the estate, and you know the estate taxes come from. They come from wealthier families and individuals. That is what is deposited into the coffers. Not to mention the income tax itself. So, um, look, you know, it's. I think that you're right, Marie. I think the key is that a lot of this policy, what it does in terms of an outcome, is it creates 80% market rate, right, which doesn't contribute Mm -hmm. to the goal of affordable housing, and it does so in a way that incentivizes eviscerating zoning, putting it to local zoning boards, bypassing conservation, and basically these multifamily things. Danielle Dobin uh, was the leader. She's the P&Z leader in Westport. And Westport has a tract of land that we've been grappling as a town with what to do with. And her proposal is let's make it all affordable, but let's make it look like the rest of Westport. Let's make it individual cottages. Let's make it 850 square feet, which are a nice size one bedroom apartment or whatever. And um, we'll have some greenery and we'll have one scale living and we'll have seniors in there and other people that need affordable housing that don't want to be in a multifamily house. And you know, when Governor Lamont said that he had $600 million he wanted to spend in his budget, you know, to me, maybe some of that money could be doled at some of these towns to allow them to acquire some property or supplement acquiring property so that it can all be affordable, but it could be on a scale that the community welcomes. 
Right. And, and I, we've done that in Fairfield. We've had very similar developments, not for seniors, but for um, folks who need affordable housing, and they blend into the neighborhood. Exactly. And that's what's been missing from the conversation are these hyper-local concepts and, and factors that really need to go into planning for affordable housing. You know, d- different towns just have different ways of doing things and different constraints, as we've talked about. It, it can't just be coming from one one group of people. It has to have everybody at the table. I mean, that's a broken record, but I, I just can't say it enough. Yeah. We just we just need to we need to reset this conversation and we just have to really have something to we have to do something that's positive that will help Connecticut forward. You know, pitting pitting the cities against the town, Fairfield County against the cities is, is just not, you know, a help, a helpful way to go forward. And you think about the fact that really actually the opposite of what it it, it really ends up doing is creating a situ a scenario where towns will become responsible when developers decide to not step in. And then towns will be forced to build, and it and it won't be based on market demand. It won't be based on you know the unique factors that it, that impact every single community. So you think about the amount of waste in terms of natural your land, you know the waste of land and your natural resources and your financial resources when you're not coming up with a strategy that's really hyper local and. And, and reflects what's in the environment and what's really the demand, the demand is for and the need is for. And the best people to do that are the local boots on the ground, the local land use experts, and those are the ones that are being incredibly excluded from this entire conversation. And that's very frustrating. I just got an email from um, Diane Cece, which shows House of Representatives calendar today Substitute for House Bill number 6633, an act concerning a needs assessment and fair share plans for municipalities to increase affordable housing. So it got back to the House. There it is. You can consider that news. Yeah. So there it is. House Bill 6633 revives. The housing advocates are probably very joyful right now because they have not given up their fight. They, they, I, I got you know emails from them too last week, and they were very distressed to hear that their fair share didn't make it through, and it's now going to get another hearing. So if you care about this issue one way or another, now's your chance to write to your legislator. It's House Bill 6633, Substitute. An act concerning a needs assessment and fair share plans. What day is today? Is today Monday, June fifth? It's Correct. been calendared, so I'm. It's going to be heard today. It's be three days before the um, the session ends. I mean, I don't know how anyone can do meaningful reform in such a short period of time. Um, we'll look at it, Lisa. Alexis Harrison, CT one six nine Strong org is your website where you attempt to keep people informed of what's going on. This is a moving situation. It's moving. Thank you very much, ladies, for joining us today. Thank you, Diane, for sending me that quick email. I'm Lisa Wexler. We're going to be right back with Lisa on the law. I have a couple of questions lined up. One concerns pet trusts. If you have a pet and you're concerned about what might happen to your pet after you're gone, stick around. 203-333-9422. We'll be talking about it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 